play near the Tigris River. In a few minutes, on this cold gray dawn in the 111th Olympiad, the King of Macedon will lead these men, a tiny army of only 47,000 soldiers, down to the attack on a million enemy troops led by Emperor Darius of Persia. If the Greeks can win against these overwhelming odds, they will achieve the almost impossible and set Alexander of Macedon upon the throne of all Asia. If they are defeated, however, these Greek soldiers know that the Persians will show them no mercy. They know that the stake today is literally victory or death. Can the Greeks win against the terrific odds? That's the question uppermost in the minds of every officer, every foot soldier. October 1st, 331 B.C., Persia, you are there. Alexander of Macedon about to attack Darius of Persia. 47,000 Greeks against 1 million Persians. CBS takes you back more than 2,000 years to the most amazing gamble in all military history. All things are as they were then except for one thing. When CBS is there, you are there. You Are There, produced and directed by Robert Louis Cheon, is based on authentic historical fact and quotation. Today's broadcast, The Battle for Asia, is part two of a trilogy, Alexander the Great Seeks Mastery of the World. And now, Persia, with the Greek forces at the Tigris River and John Daly. Greeks against one million warriors of Asia are far greater than any army has ever faced before. The feeling among the troops today is in direct contrast to the sentiment that prevailed here yesterday. Yesterday, Alexander's men were excited at the prospect of peace. The Persian emperor, Darius, offered the Greek king half of Asia if he would end the war. The troops were hopeful that Alexander would accept, but the king of Macedon rejected the offer. He chose instead to fight for all Asia. And although his men are determined to equip themselves as well as they can, they don't welcome the prospect of today's fight. They see themselves going into almost suicidal battle. Why did Alexander turn down Darius's offer? Why did he choose to throw his badly outnumbered Greek force against the huge army of the Persians? For some answers to these questions, we take you now to Greek Army Headquarters somewhere behind the lines and Major George Fielding Elliott. In choosing to fight rather than make peace, Alexander is gambling everything on his belief that the small but superbly disciplined army can defeat the army of Darius, which is vastly superior in numbers but loosely organized. During the three years that Alexander has been campaigning against the Persians, he has put his faith in Greek discipline against Persian numbers again and again, and won. At the river Granicus, it was 30,000 Greeks against perhaps 200,000 Persians, and Alexander won. At the Battle of Issus, it was 40,000 Greeks against about 400,000 Persians, and Alexander won. But today the odds are not 7 to 1, they are not 10 to 1, they are 20 to 1. And the question is, will Alexander's hitherto successful formula stand the test of these newer and greater odds? The Persian front is so wide that it extends far beyond the Greek flank. It is entirely possible that despite Alexander's superior mobility, the Persians will outflank, surround, and destroy him by sheer weight of numbers. Darius has chosen today's battlefield. It's a broad, flat, and deep plain, perfect for maneuvering the great masses of men at his disposal. 
the, the main weight of the Persian attack will undoubtedly be aimed at the Greek flank. If Alexander can succeed in keeping his flanks from being rolled back, if he can stave off encirclement by the Persians, he has a fighting chance to win this battle. Ah, Ned Kelmer on the left flank of the Greek army reports enemy activity. So go ahead, Ned Kelmer. Before the sun sets today, our king will rule Asia. 
What makes you so sure, soldier, that you're going to win today? Alexander is invincible. A god born to rule the world. Our king has crushed every enemy that scares me. Something is happening in the center of the Persian line. And it's causing a great deal of excitement here among these Greek troops. The enemy seems to be leading a number of huge animals out in front of their position. John Daly in the center of the Greek line must have a better view of them than I have, so go ahead, John Daly. We've moved forward about 100 yards in front of the Greek line with several officers to get a closer look at those animals. I count four, seven, twelve, at least 15 of them. Great, hulking, four-footed monsters. Each one must stand about 10 feet high, weigh ooh, easily several tons. Their hides are gray in color. Each foot is as thick as the trunk of a tree. They seem to have long, flapping ears and tusks protruding from their jaws after the fashion of wild boars. Their snouts are long and flexible. Uh, you'll probably find this hard to believe, but their snouts reach almost to the ground. The bodies of the beasts are covered with plates of armor, and the, the animals have platforms lashed to their backs, probably for fighting men to ride on. General Parmenion, Alexander's chief of staff and commander of the Greek left flank, is coming up to this point now on horseback. Several staff officers are with him. They're probably coming up here to get a closer look at the Persian feet. Uh, Greek travelers to Persia have brought back tales of terrifying animals such as these. I think they call them elephants. Apparently, the Persians have trained these beasts for use in battle, but uh, just how they'll use them is anybody's guess. General Pymenian is uh, dismounted. He's looking across the plain to the Persian line, uh, studying the strange beasts. Let's see if we can get a statement. Uh, General Pymenian! Uh, General Pymenian, sir, yes. uh, do you think that uh, these beasts are elephants? That is a possibility. Well, do you think that they will be used by the Persians in today's battle, General? That is also a possibility. Well, uh, how do you think they're going to use them, sir? What, what will the Persians do with them? Those are questions on which we have some very definite ideas. But we are not prepared to discuss them at this time. Well, do you have any defense against the elephants, General? Suppose they come charging into your lines, trampling down the, the men. I assure you, sir, the Persians believe they have produced a secret weapon which will win this battle. They shall find themselves mistaken. There never has been a weapon before that wasn't countered. And we shall counter this one today. Well, thank you very much, General Pymenian. Alexander's chief of staff has turned to talk to his officers. Uh, he and his aide are referring to them as elephants, and so I guess that's definite. These are elephants. Now, Don Hollenbeck at Greek headquarters uh, behind the line informs me that he has a Persian prisoner uh, with him who is willing to give us some accurate information about this new Persian weapon. So over to Don Hollenbeck. The name of this Persian prisoner of war is Mithrenes. When he was caught yesterday, he taunted the Greek intelligence officers with stories of those enemy elephants, but they didn't believe him. Now, however, the Greek officers have given me permission to interview the prisoner. Mithrenes is a tall man, swarthy, black hair and a black beard curled in the Persian fashion. His armor is very fine. He's probably a member of the Persian nobility. Is that correct, Mithrenes? Yes. I am a kinsman. Oh, a member of the Emperor's bodyguard. Yes. The kinsmen are the nobles of Persia who enjoy that privilege. Well, the finest body of troops in the army of His Majesty, Darius. Yes, I'm told you were caught by a very ordinary detachment of Greek scouts. I beg your pardon, sir. They were Thracian scouts, not Greeks. 
quite a difference. What is the difference? Well, the men of Thrace uh, are a more warlike people than the Greeks. Closer in blood to the Persians. Well, I understand that for warlike Persians, you people didn't put up much of a fight. There was no reason to resist. My party was outnumbered, and so we surrendered. What about those elephants in the center of the Persian line, Mithrenes? What can you tell us about them? Ah, yes. The elephants. The uh, Indian war elephant is the most fearful, terrifying weapon in modern warfare. It's not too much to say that the war elephant is the decisive, the absolute weapon of battle. Their effect on the enemy is incalculable. They strike terror in the hearts of their opponents. They cause panic among the cavalry and the foot soldiers. Well, yes, but the Greeks say their cavalry and foot soldiers don't yield very easily to panic. So much the worse for them. If the Greeks come within range of the war elephants, their destruction is assured. The beasts are trained to grip enormous swords in their trunks. Swords 15 feet long. They're trained to cut and slash at the enemy formations with those swords. Their tusks can gore a man with ease. With its trunk, the elephant can seize a man and horse, lift them into the air, and dash them to the ground, killing them instantly. The elephant's thunder into the midst of an enemy formation, trample the foe underfoot, and, what's more, the elephants themselves are invulnerable. Oh, oh I regret that as a prisoner, I shall not be permitted to watch Excuse them, me, Mithrenes. John Daly at the center of the Greek line up front reports that Alexander is arriving, so go ahead, John Daly. Alexander and the royal bodyguard are coming this way, riding through an avenue of soldiers of the phalanx drawn up at attention. Uh, these troops are Macedon, the hard core of his army. They will bear the brunt of the fighting and will have to outdo all their previous exploits if Alexander is to win today. The young king of Macedon, uh, only 25 years old, mounted on Bucephalus, his famous black charger, wears a helmet of polished steel with a white plume. Strands of his bright red hair are falling out from underneath the helmet. His armor is very light and fine. He carries a sword and shield, and as he passes close by, we can see that he is fresh-shaven. The king looks rested and confident. Alexander and his party have passed through the line. Now they are riding out in front of it in full view of the Greek phalanx. We've been told that Alexander will speak to these troops before the battle begins. The soldiers are silent, waiting for their commander to address them. In this army of 47,000 men, all eyes are turned toward Alexander. Down below on the plain, the million men of Persia must also be looking up here as they wait for the battle to begin. The royal bodyguard has stopped about 50 yards in front of the line. Alexander has wheeled his charger around facing his troops. He signaled his trumpeters, and now they are sounding Alexander's battle call, the Dean of War. Alexander has spurred Bucephalus toward his troops. What to and how he is addressing the soldiers. Soldiers of Greece, I shall not attempt with many words to stir you to battle. I ask only that you remember. 
General Parmenian is employing all his forces in a supreme effort to stem this murderous assault. He's thrown in the first and second divisions of the phalanx, the salient cavalry, the Pisalian horse, and the foot soldiers of the auxiliary brigade. But it doesn't seem possible that Parmenian can save the situation. The staff position here is being encircled rapidly. It looks very bad here. This is Don Hollenbeck at Greek headquarters behind the lines. Go ahead, Ned Kalmer. Go ahead, Ned Kalmer. We hope to re-establish contact with the Greek left flank. The Greek forces are not only running into difficulty on their right and left flanks, but they're also in trouble here. Persian detachments right now are attacking the headquarters camp. The camp guards are resisting fiercely. Silicus, commander of the guards, has sent a message to Alexander telling him of the situation and asking for help. A bulletin's just been handed to me. It's from General Parmenian, commander of the Greek left flank. The forces under Parmenian have been completely encircled. They're in danger of annihilation, and the general has sent couriers to Alexander urging assistance. Ken Roberts, up at the crest of the hill overlooking the battlefield, reports activity in the center of the Greek line now, so over to him. Go ahead, Ken Roberts. Alexander is paying no attention to the dangerous situation on his flank and in his rear. He, he is gambling everything on his all-out assault at the center of the Persian line. His, his skirmishes are attacking the elephants to protect the riot now. The, the Greek skirmishes are hurling their javelins and discharging their arrows at the beach. Now Persian foot soldiers are striking back furiously at the Greeks. They're trying to defend their elephants. A wild fight is surging around the feet of the elephants. If Alexander can break through that train of elephants, he can get to the Persian emperor himself. And it appears that's what Alexander is trying to do. And, and now, now the elephants are rearing up, trumpeting with rage. They seem to have become maddened by the wild crowds of battle and, and the wounds that the Greeks and gentlemen. Now, now the elephants are thinking they're out of control and they're turning around, charging back into the Persian line. They're stampeding the enemy. The absolute weapon that Darius wanted on to win this battle is turned against him. And the way is open now for Alexander to get to Darius. The, the king of Madison is taking advantage of it. The big weapons are starting to charge. Alexander is leading the attack. John Daly is running out of broadcast from a vantage point close to and overlooking the central line. So go ahead, John Daly. Go ahead, Daly. Alexander and his Macedons have smashed into the center of the Persian line like a thunderbolt. Emperor Darius' royal bodyguard of kinsmen have engaged them, are fighting bitterly behind the kinsmen. In his war chariot, the Persian emperor is shouting commands, trying to rally his nobles who guard his person. If the kinsmen fail to stop that savage Greek thrust, Darius will be at the mercy of Alexander, and we may see personal combat between the two mothers. Something that Alexander is probably seeking, but from the look of this battlefield now, Darius doesn't want it too much. It seems incredible that Alexander has reached this point, but even now it doesn't seem possible that he can break through that mass of Persian defenders and reach Darius, for the kinsmen are great fighters, their ability known to legend. The Macedons here in the center must be outnumbered at least five to one. Javelins and arrows are singing through the air. Spears and swords are crashing in the air, taking a terrific toll. The Greeks don't seem to be able to, to wield their weapons fast enough to make any difference in the dense ranks of the enemy. Cut and hack as they will, the Persians fall as they do in great numbers. Still, there are others always to take the place of those who do fall. 
and still Alexander and his men keep hacking their way forward, keep plunging in against the kinsmen, and the kinsmen are beginning to waver, are beginning to give ground. As they waver, the Greek fight with renewed fury, and this protective mass around Darius now is beginning to break up. Alexander is beginning to drive through the kinsmen, straight towards Darius' war chariot. Alexander's been waiting for this moment for years. It's been one of his ambitions to destroy Darius in hand-to-hand combat. But Darius has turned. He's fleeing. He's refused to face Alexander in battle. He's swung his chariot around, and he's matching his horses, and they're galloping away with him at top speed. Alexander's not giving chase. He's not allowing his emotions to master his military judgment. There's still hope to be dispatched to Parthenian and Syracuse. There's still the great body of kinsmen here to be defeated, but the royal bodyguards have seen their effort turn and flee, and they too now are beginning to run away, and the sight of the emperor and his kinsmen in flight is causing general demoralization among other Persian units. Thousands of them are beginning to throw away their weapons. Thousands are surrendering. Thousands more are following their leaders in flight. The great trumpets are sounding, halting the charge. Alexander is now calling his men around him, shouting to them, trying to get their attention. I'm going to try to get up there now. It's only a short distance away. We're moving through a throng of excitement, exultant, great troops. Their faces are light with shock surprise. They never believed this would happen. Most of them were certain this battle would be their last, but now they smell victory in there. Although they're still fighting up there on the flanks and in the rear. Someone has handed Alexander a captured person's banner. He's waving it aloft. Uh, we're close to the now. Alexander has the attention of his men. He's speaking to them. Alexander the Great seeks mastery of the world. Mutiny in India. You are there.
fine comedy, fine drama on the distaff side are provided every Sunday night by two of America's most talented actresses, Miss Eve Arden and Miss Helen Hayes. Every week, Miss Hayes is heard on the Electric Theater in an outstanding Broadway motion picture or radio drama, while Miss Arden brings you the lighter side of a teacher's troubles as the star of Our Miss Brooks. CBS cordially invites you to hear them both every Sunday night over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>